Welcome to Creation, Myth, or Miracle. This is your host, ex-atheist Richard Walker. Greetings to all you students out there, current students and previous students. That probably covers most of us. And if you ask students in high school what was their least favorite subject, what do you think they might pick? Often you'd find mathematics at the top of the list. And even if you're within that group that dislikes mathematics, hang in there, listen to this show anyway. I suspect you'll find it somewhat interesting, and I promise you will not have to solve any equations yourself or do any proofs. I personally love mathematics, especially abstract math. I was very fortunate to get to attend a National Science Foundation summer science training program in mathematics many years ago and got introduced to college-level abstract mathematics and found it astounding. Mathematical logic is really something to walk through. It, it truly captured my attention, and I became enamored with it. One other fact, actually two other facts, just grabbed me. One was to find out you could take a problem that's difficult to solve in one particular scenario and simply move the problem into another equivalent system, equivalent, but it looks entirely different, and solve the problem there and make the job much, much easier. For example, calculating the shortest route between two points in a plane is pretty darn simple on a flat piece of paper, but calculating the shortest distance between two points on the surface of the Earth is an entirely different matter, and it's much more easily solved if you use something like spherical geometry. And it turns out we often solve problems in a different context than where we apply the solution. And the fact that you can do that is truly an amazing thing. Perhaps even more amazing is the fact that mathematics works at all. And by works, I mean matches the physical realm around us. After all, if evolution's true, our thoughts are nothing more than the chemical activity of our brains, which somehow arose by purely undirected mutations being acted upon by natural selection. So why should these chemical activities somehow provide insight into the real physical world around us? Perhaps my favorite title of any science article ever written is the following, The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics in the Natural Sciences. That was written over 50 years ago by physicist Eugene Wigner, and he's discussing exactly this issue. Just this past Friday, Bob Inyart over at Real Science Radio did a show about this. Real Science Radio goes to math class, and so I want to share that with you today. We're going to have to jump into the middle a little bit. Anyway, take it away, Bob Inyart. You know, how could Albert Einstein and others use their minds to make discoveries? Well, back in 2011, I interviewed an author, James Nichol, who wrote a book, Mathematics is God Silent. Turns out that math is one of the languages of God. And so we talked about Einstein and how Einstein wrestled with a certain question that he went to his grave not being able to answer because the answer is the personal God, the God who made us, God's thoughts the personal God, and we'll see that in today's program. And so being a materialist, effectively an atheist, you know, his God, he said his God was Spinoza's God, which is basically nature. 
why Einstein could not answer his question because he had a philosophical commitment, not a scientific commitment, but a philosophical commitment that there was no personal God. And so we also talked about Isaac Newton and Johann Kepler. You could go back to realscienceradio.com, search for James Nickel, N-I-C-K-E-L, and you can listen to that great interview and about why science was stillborn in ancient Greece. Why didn't modern science flower in Greece 2,000 years ahead of it flowering in Christianized Europe? Why? Well, fun topic. So anyway, it gets us to the question of how Einstein could use his mind to make discoveries. And that's something that James Nichol pointed out in his book, Mathematics, Is God Silent? He explained that mathematicians will turn away from the physical universe. In other words, they'll close their eyes. Or there might be a telescope nearby, look away from it, turn away from the physical universe, and yet make astounding discoveries that help to explain the world of matter and energy. How can that be? Using their minds rather than microscopes or telescopes. These discoveries come decades and sometimes even centuries before their real-world counterparts make the discovery by observational science or by some empirical method or before technological advance enables us to confirm the discovery made long ago just by someone using their mind. Now, here at Real Science Radio, we suggest as an example of this, a mathematician and astronomer, Joseph Louis Lagrange. Now, he discovered something that we call Lagrange points. And these are gravitationally stable. Now, some are more stable than others. Well, some are a bit unstable. But gravitationally stable points where today we use his discovery to position our most important satellites. Like, remember the uh, WMAP satellite that was used for some years, and today it's, uh, what, the Planck satellite and other satellites? We did a great show on a, the anisotropy of the universe. Just go to realscienceradio.com slash axis of evil. And those satellites were placed at one of these Lagrange points so that if you have two bodies, this is related to the three-body problem in gravity that's just so incomprehensible to us to answer it exactly. And then you realize that God put the earth and the moon and the sun and all these planets in our solar system in the Milky Way, in the Milky Way with a 100 billion other galaxies, and we have a hard time solving the gravitational equation for three bodies, and God could do it for, what, millions? God's so awesome. But anyway, we place these satellites in these places that Lagrange discovered. He was born in Turin, Italy, you know, where they have the shroud. And uh, back in... 1736, he was born, long time ago. And he discovered these points with his mind. And today, when we launch our most expensive satellites, you know, we want to put them where the sun at their back all the time. 
but yet they're in a stationary location relative to the Earth. They'll stay there without expending energy for a long, long time. That's cool. Isn't that cool? And so they devote all their energy toward their mission, not to just trying to keep up with the Earth. And so when we launch these things, like the Plunk right now is, where is it at? Lagrange point number two, I think it is. So imagine back in the 1700s, Joseph Louis Lagrange discovered these five points out in space. It's just astounding. Here at Real Science Radio, we're offering as an example of how human beings could use their minds to make discoveries. You see, atheist, materialist, they've often said things like, only empirical science could give you real knowledge. Only empirical science, if you can see it or hear it or touch it, right? Your five senses. Well, Lagrange discovered these points without being able to see them, touch them, hear them, taste them, or smell them. He didn't smell it out. He thought it through. So materialists generally become enemies of reason, math, logic, knowledge, information. They're very uncomfortable with all those things because none of those things are physical. They're not made out of matter, so they don't like them. And they literally eventually become, as the Bible tells you, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. So Albert Einstein, Time Magazine did a brief bio of Albert Einstein called The Enduring Legacy I read a few years ago. And I'd like to quote it. They wrote that today's high-precision instruments, such as atomic clocks and lasers, have shown that Albert Einstein was absolutely on target with the equations he worked out with nothing more than a pencil. And I enjoyed what his wife said at uh, Mount Wilson Observatory. They record this also. They describe a visit Einstein made in 1931 to California's Mount Wilson Observatory, where Edwin Hubble had been making history, astronomy history, with this 100-inch reflecting telescope. So Time Magazine writes that about Einstein's wife, Elsa. Here's what they write. When the astronomers there boasted that their telescope could probe the structure of the universe, Elsa quipped, my husband does that on the back of an old envelope. And she was right. So the photograph that I told you, we would have a world exclusive with this photo. Not that we're the only ones to post it. You could find this photograph online, but the world exclusive is the caption. What this photograph is, this photograph is the lab, and I'm showing our engineer right now. That's the lab where Albert Einstein discovered special relativity. That's his laboratory. It's idyllic, isn't it? It's just a traditional European living room with the doilies on the tables and the lace curtains and the cushioned wooden chairs and the flower pots and and the curio cabinet or is that a hutch there with the shelves enclosed in glass doors and the beautiful rug the throw rug on a wooden floor inlaid wooden floor and the fancy wallpaper and the photos on the wall of the family members that's the laboratory where Albert Einstein discovered special relativity. 
That's his lab. What do you mean it's his lab? It's his living room. Well, right. That's his lab where he had all that special equipment that he used to discover relativity. Well, what special equipment? Well, there's an old envelope. I think you could see it on the hutch there. There's the old envelope. And in that little bowl, I think there's one or two pencils. That's the special high-tech equipment. And really, if you showed a pencil to a pharaoh of Egypt, he would think it was a high-tech piece of equipment. So a pencil sort of is high-tech, especially if it has a vulcanized rubber eraser. Oh, and the books on the shelf, they're high-tech. Yeah. So materialists often claim, though, along with so many of their atheist cliches, very similar to the group of them, at realscienceradio.com slash atheist, that you can only know that which your five senses tell you. But what's funny is that's self-contradicting, right? Self-refuting, because which of their five senses told them that? Obviously, none of them. Atheists can't think. If you reject the font of all knowledge, the source of all reason, how can you think, really? I mean, you could sort of simulate thinking by mimicking others. But at any rate, today's atheists are becoming increasingly uncomfortable with the reality of logic, with the existence of truth, and even with information itself. They don't like it. So there's the lab where Einstein discovered special relativity. I love the lace throw on the back of the couch. I wonder what the university physics department had to lay out for that piece of equipment. That must have cost a fortune. So I mentioned that Einstein confuses Lawrence Krauss. As an extraordinary example of today's atheist trying to distance themselves from the realm of ideas, okay? Theoretical physicist Lawrence Krauss, and we've interviewed him, rsr.org slash Krauss, supporting this denial of ideas, he presents an anecdote about Albert Einstein. And even in Krauss's own telling, it'd be one thing if he got the anecdote wrong and he used it to support his view, but he got the anecdote right. And still he used it to support his view, which is inane in the utmost degree. His own telling exactly contradicts Krauss's own reason for telling the story. And it's a really funny thing. He talks about Albert Einstein using a telescope to prove his point. Krauss tells this anecdote. And it's true, except that Einstein used the telescope not to form his theory, because his theory was already formulated in his mind, and then he had already written it on paper, even as Krauss recounts in his story. In chapter one of his book. And then Einstein used the telescope to confirm his theory, not to arrive at his theory. And Krauss presented this in an argument against the claim that scientists use their minds rather than scientific equipment to make discoveries. It's, it's just, it was, it was a shocking thing. So at any rate, back to Einstein. And Isaac Newton, you know, Discover Magazine's Richard Panic made this observation. 
He said, in the, the 17th century, Isaac Newton inaugurated a scientific revolution by taking Galileo's observations of the heavens and expressing them mathematically. In the 20th century, Albert Einstein inaugurated the second scientific revolution by reversing that process. He took his own calculations, and then he looked at the heavens to show that he was right. See the difference? So Einstein is an example of somebody discovering a physical reality with their mind. You know, there's some other example, Chernikov radiation, really fun. Back in the 1880s, uh, Oliver Heaviside discovered a certain kind of radiation called Chernikov radiation. Long before we could discover it empirically and confirm that he was right. And there's something else that he was a self-taught physicist and he figured out something else that was astounding. He realized that if you wanted to describe electrical circuits, you could do a really good job if you used complex numbers, which include the imaginary square root of minus one. Now there's an entire field of mathematics and applied science where they use the square root of minus one. Only you can't have a square root of minus one. It's imaginary. But if you are consistent mathematically and you arrive at a term and you use a term, the square root of minus one, as though it were real, even though it's imaginary, a complex number, including that, it turns out that you could better understand electrical circuits. In, in other words, physics. And that tells us something. How could it be, right? How could an imaginary concept help you understand the physical world? It tells you that God was the first and greatest mathematician. And God explored every aspect of the relationship of numbers, including complex numbers. And when God thought through the complex number that involved the square root of negative one, he saw that as a design element for a physical universe that could be understandable and discoverable and usable and practical. And so he used that as a design principle. And so then we, because we are made in God's image and likeness, because as Johann Kepler said, we can think God's thoughts after him, therefore we could stumble upon the square root of negative one being a useful tool for understanding the creation and our own creations of electrical circuits. And so that's why you can use your mind to make discoveries of the physical universe because we are thinking God's thoughts after him because there is a personal God who is the creator and God thought, he thought using his mind, he thought of how he would create the universe. And he did so in a rational way. And he made us, although we are so insignificant compared to his brilliance and wisdom and righteousness and eternity, still he made us in his image and his likeness. And so we could use our minds and think about, well, how would it be if I were to do it? How would I make matter and energy relate? And Einstein thought, how should it be? And, you know, here's how it should be. And it turns out it is. 
Einstein was thinking God's thoughts after him. That's just so great. But because he rejected the personal God, he wrote once that it was incomprehensible. And I'll link to this writing of Einstein's in our show summary. Just go to rsr.org slash math. He wrote that it was incomprehensible that the non-physical realm of ideas could even exist in a physical world. He said, how could you have ideas since the world is made up of matter and ideas are immaterial? Ideas are not made up of matter. They're not physical. So how could you even have ideas? And it was incomprehensible to him that non-physical mathematics, which itself is not composed of matter or energy, could describe so beautifully the physical universe. It blew his mind. Just how could it be? So these astounding and unexpectedly beautiful equations that the world has celebrated, like E equals MC squared, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. How could that be that perfect? So by exploring unexpected and even startling symmetry and patterns from the microscope to the galactic scale, mathematicians often describe their work as an aesthetic pursuit of beauty. You know what Einstein said? That relativity was his, quote, most beautiful discovery, unquote. It's beautiful. You know, scientists enjoy the inverse square law. They love it. The beauty of Maxwell's equations. Have you ever seen Boltzmann's formula for entropy? It's on his tombstone of all things. And it's beautiful. Boltzmann's formula for entropy. S equals K log W. I mean, how could you get more simple? In fact, I'll post a photo of of Ludwig Boltzmann's tombstone right here in this show summary, rsr.org slash math. And so as it becomes increasingly purely theoretical, math seems to do an even better job at describing reality because God is theoretical. You know, Ludwig von Mises, he was an economist, an Austrian economist. I have his book here, Human Action. Great book. Doesn't it sound good? I mean, he was an atheist, tragically, but a brilliant conservative economist. And I'd like to quote from you from page 32 here. He wrote that contemporary philosophers, and especially atheists, quote, are entirely wrong in their endeavors to reject any kind of a priori knowledge and to characterize logic mathematics, and economics as empirical and experimental disciplines. He said, they're wrong. comes from your mind. Then he wrote a few pages later, it's not experience, but thinking alone, which teaches us that, and in what instances, it is necessary to investigate unrealizable hypothetical conditions in order to conceive what is going on in the real world. This is just brilliant stuff. So ignoring their five senses, mathematicians who turn away from the physical world to the non-material world of ideas, seeking pleasure from pure intellectual elegance, 
often end up being the ones who come closest to describing the physical nature of the cosmos. And atheists struggle with this phenomenon because it suggests that the universe originated with the desire for beauty in the mind of a personal creator. It's truly the case that there is really good evidence for beautiful, exquisite design within the world around us, and we can see it even within the realm of the representation of the behavior of that world within mathematical formulas. Why not acknowledge the source of this beauty and design and symmetry, the Creator Himself, rather than try to devise ridiculous low-probability arguments to explain it away? See creation myth or miracle.com.